if you spend any time with me and Cricket together, you'll probably hear the same stories over and over, but we'll share a lot of stories from our time in Dallas together, um, from seminary and our, and our time at Northwest Bible Church. But at our retreat last weekend, we talked during our first session about labels and the labels that we wear. And I don't typically like labels, but it's also, as we walk through life, sometimes it's easier to kind of use those to get to know someone. And so if you find me on social media, you'll see a couple of labels, um, and it's sister, have a um, twin brother and a younger brother, daughter, um, wife, and mother. And I will get teary-eyed when you hear me say wife. Sorry, I didn't expect that today. Um, and then, and mother as well. So y'all can pray for Emma. She's at home today. She's sick. She has 102-plus um, degree fever. Kurt stayed home with her this morning and took, got her to the doctor. Um, but she's at home playing quietly, what I just heard before I got up here. Um, but above all, I, think, I don't think you'll be surprised when I tell you that the label that I wear most confidently is, a, is as a believer in Christ, as a daughter of our King. And I think we can all agree as we move into the season of our, of our world, of our country, of our culture, that that identity becomes even more important. And it's actually pretty perfect for our topic that we talked about today, which is time alone with God and being rooted in our time alone with God. Just over eight years ago, I was um, turning 40. I was having... Um, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my 40th birthday party, and I decided I wanted to go on a trip. Um, I knew that none of my friends could go with me, though, and so I planned a solo um, trip to St. John, Virgin Islands, um, to an eco-retreat. Um, I decided I didn't want to sit home and pout if I didn't get to do what I wanted to do, and so off I went. I don't know that my mom uh, appreciated that trip alone, um, and my twin brother, I didn't realize until I looked at some of the pictures recently, he didn't know I was going. He was living in Europe. Um, some of you may know my twin brother, Jason. He um, works with Greater Europe Mission um, and has been across Europe in different countries. But he didn't even know that I was going on this solo trip. Um, but I decided that I wanted to do that, and I set off across to um, St. John for this eco-retreat. And if you don't know what an eco-retreat is, I have some pictures. It's this, it was a small cabin on the side of an island. It uh, ran on rainwater, solar power. Um, it had an outdoor kitchen, we, uh, not we, I, I slept outdoors um, under a mosquito tent. It was just a unique experience on the side of this island, but it was what I considered to be very real alone time. One note, um, the next picture, because this is the fun part. Um, you'll see that staircase, there's one power outlet in that house, and that's where you plugged in. And so Kurt and I had been dating for a month. And so I was sure to plug into that uh, outlet so I could text him pictures and didn't realize that the staircase was right there. And you'll see the gash in my forehead. Day one, hit my head and every picture after that. That was my memory from St. John. Um, but it was a very real time alone. But for some of us, and you may have experienced it this past week, our time alone might be in our favorite chair in the living room. It might be on the back patio. It might be in car line. It might be in the, in, on the commute to work. And for some of us, we frankly know that sometimes it's in the bathroom. I mean, that's just very real. We've all experienced that. Um, I'm Emma's potty training, so I'm not even sure that's uh, alone time either. Um, but for me, that time when it was real, some very real personal alone time was on, on this island. When I think of alone time now, though, now that I have a daughter and we have a multi-generational house. My in-laws live with us. Um, we have, um, anyway, we'll go into that a little bit more later. But it's just quiet. It's a good book. It's quiet music. It might be silence. Really, when I think of alone time for me, it's what's not happening. You know, it's like, what can I do that just creates peace and calm? But I want to flip that scenario a little bit because our time with God, our alone time with God is not passive. It's very intentional and it's very active. Um, time alone with God is how we build our relationship with God. 
We know the common advice that relationships that we build with our family and friends, um, that's through quality time. That the opportunity, that it gives us the opportunity to learn and understand more about them. And as we grow in our relationship with our friends and family members, that we learn more about ourselves as well. Similarly, um, my time with Kurt, my vacations look a little bit different now. So we have an annual trip that we take to Acadia National Park in um, in Bar Harbor. We leave in a couple of weeks. Um, And this is time, the only time really during the year that Kurt and I have an opportunity to really disconnect. And this is the time that we have together. We hike, so it's not, it's not quiet, still time, but it's time that we have to um, spend together and, and reconnect and to be focused. Um, a lot of times we use elevated language when we talk about our time alone with God, and I think we really need to break it down to very simple, that it's time that we have to spend with God, to let go of theological terms, and just admit that like family and friends, we need, um, we cannot truly know him, that we cannot truly know his character and his plans for our life if we don't spend time alone with him. So strengthening this relationship is essential to our Christian life. Matthew 22, we know this. It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I think it's also important to qualify that God is always near, that our alone time does not draw God close to us, but draws our hearts and our minds closer to him as well. Um, And that as we're two weeks into this study, and it was good for me um, to walk through this study, because, and, I, and I'm excited about this opportunity for us to walk through the study of being rooted, because it's something, an activity that I think all of us need to do as we walk through our Christian life um, frequently, is to take stock of, uh, of where we are in our theology and make sure that we are staying connected and firm to the doctrines that we hold clear, and to reaffirm in that in our minds as well. And so this time, as being rooted in, the time, in a time alone with God, gives us that opportunity to re, to re um, invigorate that love that we have to spend time with God. Um, this past week, we spent time talking about how we spend time with God. What's the structure of that time? Is it through prayer or meditation, uh, journaling, um, scripture reading, coming before God with requests um, and prayers and meditations for ourselves, for people we love, and people we don't know even? Um, but today, this morning, I want us to really consider why we spend time alone with God. And we're going to look at Psalm 63 to do that. Um, And at the very foundation, the reason why we spend time alone with God is not just to build a relationship, but it's to build a relationship that changes us. So now you know the core, um, really, of what we'll talk about today. But time alone with God is to build a relationship that changes us. Um, But I do want to be transparent that I'm at the stage of life, you've heard me talk a little bit about it already, that it's very hard for me to find quiet time alone. Um, As I mentioned, um, we have a multi-generational family. Kurt's parents live with us. They're 93 and 85 years old. Um, We've cared for different family members as well over time. Um, My husband owns a small business. I work from home, and we have a toddler and then these three crazy dogs. Um, So I don't know how we ended up with three dogs. Actually, I have the pictures because Kurt asked me. He said, please share the photos of our dogs um, because they drive us crazy. We love them. um, But as you can imagine, um, we don't have a lot of quiet time in the house. It's hard to find that time. Um, But I was encouraged. And uh, this is a friend that um, Cricket and I both share, Nancy and Doug Williams. And about 14 years ago, I was, I like photos in case you don't know. Can't tell already. Um, Nancy um, is a beautiful, amazing, just saint. And we spent quite a bit of time years ago 
um, just one-on-one. Um, there's, I, I cannot even count the number of women that probably consider her a spiritual mentor. And 14 years ago, I remember sitting with her and saying, Nancy, I'm amazed by the amount of time that you spend in study and prayer, mentoring women. How do you do it? Like, I'd love to do that with my life too. And she commented and she said, Christy, this is where I am in life now. She said, when I was a young mom, I couldn't do that either. She said, my time was spent with my family. She said, my husband's retired now. I don't have kids in the house. I don't have grandkids in the house. And this is the place where God has me. And at that point, and even now, looking back, especially now, I can say what a gift that was, that advice was, because I think it's, it's good for us to hear. It's not an allowance to be lazy, but it does tell us that we have different ways and tactics that we can approach and spend time with God as we move through life, and that that will be cyclical. And so we can see it as a challenge as well about how do we need to reshape and reconsider our time alone with God and to think closely about that as well. Um, in Psalm 63, um, it is considered a song of trust or confidence. If you're familiar with the Psalms, you'll know that it's structured a little bit differently. And we're not going to look at the Psalm exegetically, uh, verse by verse today, but I did want to give you a kind of a quick overview about, about how I approached it. Um, you'll see these four different categories. As, as you all know, people look and, and divide Scripture out in, in many different ways, but this is how I approached it. Verse 1 uh, really is the introduction and a description of where David is currently, kind of his current situation in life. Verses 2 through 5 give us a peek at his past, that David has been faithful to worship God. Um, and he worshiped him at the tabernacle. And he continues to want to maintain that relationship today, but also that the past was preparation for his future. And I think that's important to remember. Verses 6 through 9 move into a section of praise, a reflection of God's goodness, and a look at both present and future satisfaction in God. And verses 10 through 12, we see confidence in God's faithfulness to protect. Um, so now hear the word of God, Psalm 63. It's also called the morning church. I mean, the morning hymn in the ancient church. Um, Psalm 63, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me, but those who seek my life to destroy it, they will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be prey for foxes, but the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory for the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. And so my question is, why do you spend time with God? What is your very, very first motivation when you hear that question? Is it to fill a longing, or is it to complete a task? For some of us, it truly is to know more about God and to become centered as we begin or end the day. And for some of us, it's a have to. Um, I can honestly say that this study and preparing today was really good for me because it recreated the want to of spending time with God. Um, we read in verse 2, In the sanctuary I have seen you. I have seen your power and splendor. Experiencing your loyal love is better than life itself. My lips will praise you. 
It's important to remember David was in the wilderness, which is very far from the tabernacle, and it's very far from the ark, which is where he learned to worship God, and yet he still did, even though he was very far from those places that he knew worship. In the wilderness, during some very, very alone times with God, he continued to worship, and he wrote this poem. Unlike many of the Psalms, Psalm 63, as we mentioned earlier, doesn't begin with a lament. Um, It doesn't begin with a petition or a request. Instead, we start by reading about David's intense longing or his craving for God. It's really an intimate beginning if you read the words closely. He aches for God. He speaks of yearning and thirsting physically and emotionally, his entire person. And we also read of his great confidence in his relationship with God. And so our first point today is that time alone with God as we build this divine relationship for ourselves too reminds us of our desperate dependence. The psalm begins with a straightforward statement that David was in the wilderness. So rabbinical tradition will tell us that David was fleeing from King Saul, that King Saul wanted to kill David. There's also others that believe that this is a royal psalm, which is when Absalom um, was trying to overthrow David, overthrow David as well. And so I think what's important in that is that either David has already stepped into his calling or he was waiting anticipation for that calling. But either way, probably wondering what in the world has gone wrong and where and how did it go wrong? Um, have you been in a similar space? Have you been a place where the pressure is off the charts? You might be restless, knowing or anticipating a calling, but you don't understand how it will ever happen based on your current circumstances or situation. And so what is your wilderness today? Sometimes it's in the extraordinary, extraordinary circumstances that no one else would ever understand or experience. And sometimes it's in the routine. I don't know that I would call Emma's sickness last night the wilderness, but it sure was a shock to the system in preparation for today. You know, but I would say that's the routine. That's the routine of of, of the day. Many of us have experienced sick kids before and the impact it has on your days. Um, Our wilderness can be commonplace or feel as unique as a snowflake. It might be caused by the uncertainty or turmoil that we still experienced in the last two and a half years. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could feel like betrayal by friends, financial pressure, job changes, um, kids that um, have turned from God, troublesome children. It could be chronic illness or chronic pain. Our wilderness is unique to us. It's a path that we've been called to walk. And the other reality is that the wilderness could change tomorrow. And I think we've seen that in our lives, both corporately as a church, as a city, and, and globally even over the last couple of months, and, and, the, and the women that we've lost in our lives. And so the wilderness for our families can change significantly very quickly. Um, but a side note, and I have quite a few side notes today, is that I want you to look at the women across the table from you, and even across the room. Don't compare your wilderness to theirs. Okay. Um, it's difficult not to, but God has given you, he's given me a very distinct path to walk throughout our lives. It doesn't matter how old we are or what age or generation we're in. You continue to walk the path and walk through the wilderness that God has set for you. Um, what you are shown, I think this is important for me to remember, is that what I am shown, what you are shown in the secret places of your alone time with God is just for you. And he may use it in time to teach others, but I think it's important that we don't skip past today and the lessons that he wants us to learn in the wilderness and how he wants us to praise him today, hoping that it teaches somebody else. Um, In slide 21, our wilderness will also reveal to us our priorities. As our dependence on God is revealed, I really do pray that drives us closer to him. 
into a more intimate and personal relationship where we can also cry, oh God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. Have you experienced that type of thirst on a hot summer day where only a glass of ice cold water really will quench the thirst? I like Diet Coke. If you, I have a Diet Coke in the back already. Um, but I know what a glass of cold water does for me on a hot day, and it's because I've experienced it. Um, I was able to visit the Palestinian territory in Israel. It's been, goodness, 23 years ago. Um, and when we went to Bethlehem, and we were working with Bethlehem Bible College, but had the opportunity to visit um, the Dead Sea. And so we set off from Jerusalem into the wilderness across to the Dead Sea. And I will never forget, um, there's a photo. Um, let's see, there it is. And that was the wilderness. And that shocked me to my core because I was a young American girl who grew up in the South. And when I imagined the wilderness, it was imagining Lewis and Clark pushing through dense forest and vines and finding the Mississippi River. And so that's until that day, that's what I imagined and that's what I expected. And so when we came out into the wilderness um, on the way to the Dead Sea and our host told us that's where we were, it shocked me to my core. And I remembered the verse where Jesus says, if you are silent, the rocks will cry out. And it gave such new meaning to what that verse means. Because I saw there, it gives me chills even thinking about it just then, um, what a day that will be, because we know that will happen as well. But similarly, this is a somewhat similar environment to where David was writing this psalm. And so when we hear him say, I thirst after you in a dry and weary land where there is no water, it gives us some context for that. But similar to that glass of cold water that I know because I've experienced it on a cold day, David can say, I long for you and I thirst for you because he had experienced God already. Before he ever entered the wilderness, David had experienced God's goodness and his faithfulness and his provision. I recently read the phrase, we neglect ourselves into hopelessness. But this is why we spend time alone with God. Because when we are in the wilderness, the wilderness can direct us to despair, or it can bring to mind what we already know. Which is the perfect segue to my second point today, which is we spend time alone with God to become steadfast. So 32 years ago, um, I coined the phrase brute faith. It was funny. I was talking to my husband about this last night, and um, we got married later in life. Um, I was 41 when I got married. And so there's a lot of things that we're still learning about each other. Um, those, that, those of you that have been married for a while can say it's still the same way many times. Um, but I was, I was talking, Kurt, through um, our lecture today last night, and I said, have I ever told you that I kind of coined this, fr this phrase, brute faith? He's like, no, never heard it before. So that was interesting to talk him through that. He knew the circumstances, but not the why. But um, 32 years ago, um, I coined this phrase, and it was during one of the three most trying times of my life. The first time, and even now looking back, I'll, say, I'll, I'll still label those as the three most trying times. Um, the first one was the divorce of my parents when I was 29 years old. So I was older, but unique dynamics and unique circumstances. The second time, and what we'll talk about here, um, was when one of my closest family friends, I think this is a picture of us, I'm not sure. There we go. Um, so that was, I was quite a bit younger then. Um, so that's me in the middle, obviously, my two brothers, and then Rodney is on the, on the, the right, left. Um, but at that time, Rodney was one of my closest friends, surrogate brother, took me on my first date, and two weeks later, he was murdered. Um, we attended a small church. There were probably 15 of us in that church, and within two years, three other youth in that youth group had passed away. So it was a really, really trying time. 
for, for our family, for me. And I remember distinctly sitting on my bed. I grew up in Arkansas. I remember sitting, up on, sitting on my bed as a twin bed facing the headboard, and I was cross-legged. And I heard my mom and I heard my dad in their room talking, whispering, crying, I'm sure. And I remember thinking, I can't bother them with my, with my pain. Everybody's in pain. I think that's when it became real. The world we live in is painful. And so I coined this term brute faith because that's where my, that's where my hope was was in Jesus Christ, even as a 16-year-old. And I think that's what is good for me to remember, that we have youth in our church, in our families, that God is calling to greatness and a demonstration of faith that is unbelievable. And I look forward to that day that we can see and we can praise God for that as they are raised up in that too. Um, But um, my faith and this brute faith, what I called brute faith, was steadfast dependence. But it was because I had already spent time with God. I knew his goodness and his faithfulness. I was secure in the present. This is, I was secure today in the present because of my past, but I could look confidently to the future at the same time. Um, I think it's noteworthy to say that David, despite the pressure, despite the anxiety that he was experiencing, you know, regardless of who he was running from, whether it was Saul or Absalom, the stress, the anxiety, the pain, the hurt, the questions, the wonders, that he didn't start the psalm with the petition, but with praise. He was able to praise God um, in his wilderness. Um, Verse 2, yes, emphatically, I have seen you and can also be translated, I will see you. David knew the power of God, and he knew it because he had spent time in the tabernacle. He speaks with confidence because he had already created a close personal relationship with God. And so for us, that relationship begins or began when we responded to God with, with trust in Jesus Christ for his death for eternal life. But we can also praise God, um, the God of the universe in the wilderness, as if we were in the sanctuary out here, you know, when we step out these doors. But, it's, but this is noteworthy, and I decided to add it as its own point at the last minute. Um, David wasn't satisfied. He always wanted more. So he could have lived in the past in what he knew in the sanctuary, in the temple, but he wanted more, and he continued to long for that and crave that in this psalm. Because experiencing today, not theoretical, but very real and experienced, your loyal love is better than life itself. My lips will praise you. And for this reason, because experiencing your loyal love is better than life itself, I will praise you while I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands, which is prayer. Because there is always more to learn and more to experience with God. Some of you are familiar with this quote from St. Augustine. You stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And I love this quote from A.W. Tozier. Come near to the holy men and women of the past and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him, they prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they had found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. Complacency is a deadly foe for all spiritual growth. Verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, I will praise you. God is our example. He is our exhibit. Do you gain strength by watching others um, who have walked before you? Similarly, we gain strength and resolve by experiencing God's unwavering love for us. And so I want to briefly consider, very briefly, Jesus's. um, experience in the wilderness. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we read that Jesus was led into the spirit, led into the wilderness by the spirit. And so that's another side note that I want to note as well. Um, Some of your wildernesses are not because of wrongdoing, but because it's where Jesus or God has led you. And I think that's important to know and to remember. 
14 years ago, uh, Cricket hinted at this, um, I lived in Dallas. I was on staff at the same church, um, and it was wonderful. I had a wonderful staff that I was a part of. I had great friends, and I knew that God was calling me back to Memphis. It was a surprise. I never expected to move back to Memphis. I didn't understand it. I stood before my friends and coworkers and said, I don't get it, but God's moving me, and I have to go. And they, one in particular, Philip Williams Cricket, said, I don't like it, but I can't argue with you either. And so I couldn't argue, but within six weeks, it was six weeks, I moved back to Memphis, bought a house sight unseen. The market was great at that point. Um, bought a house sight unseen because my mom and her husband helped, helped me with that. And uh, six weeks later, found out that the school would close, um, that I had moved here to work with, that it was financially insoluble. And I remember looking and thinking, God, why did you move me you know, so many hours and miles away from my dear friends, people who had walked through darkness with me, and why would you move me? Because this, this makes no sense. And yet, um, honestly, that house kept me here. Um, I probably would have considered moving back to Dallas if I didn't have that house, but I knew that was kind of an anchor point. Even though I knew God had wanted me here, that was a very real tangible reason to stay. Um, but aren't we glad hindsight in our lives, we can look back and see what it is and why God has us in places and walking through situations. Um, I think they're very clear. There's other reasons why, but clearly I wouldn't have met Kurt and have Emma if that was the case, if I hadn't moved back to Memphis. Um, Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Satan knew Jesus was hungry and taunted him, dared him even to test God. Another side note, I think it's interesting that Jesus was taunted with food and David in this psalm speaks of being quenched, his thirst and his hunger quenched as well. Um, but it was, when I was thinking about Jesus in the wilderness, I thought it was um, pretty, it is significant, obviously his entire life is, that um, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And so he was tempted for real. Um, and so, but what did he do? He spoke words of scripture and he knew those words because even though he was God, he spent time in the temple. And he spent time, time studying and learning from his father and others. And so when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he spoke words of scripture, words that he knew. And have you seen that in action in your own life? And if you don't, start now. Start that practice of studying scripture and memorizing scripture and journaling and learning and spending time alone and with others as well. So that when we are in the wilderness, we can find those words of comfort and restoration. So time alone with God builds a relationship that changes us by revealing our desperate dependence, by building a confident and unshakable faith that drives us to want more. And our final reason to spend time alone with God is to grow in holiness, to become more like Christ, to be sanctified. Now, if you're like me, I hear, even though it doesn't matter if you've been to seminary or not, when I hear words like sanctification, it overwhelms me. We get to some of these words, I'm like, oh, what does that mean? But honestly, that's all just very very simple in many ways. In our tradition, we agree that salvation is God's work, drawing the work of God drawing near to us. And as Philippians 1, 6 says, he will continue to work in us to complete the good work that he started. But even more accessible, and what we talked about last week, is that the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives um, and the fruit of the Spirit as evidence of God's relationship to us. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But first, we have to know and accept his love to even begin the process of being able to identify those parts and pieces of our, of our lives. Any talk about sanctification or spiritual growth assumes that we already know Christ and believe in him, that we are committed to walk and pursue a life of holiness, a life that longs for a relationship with God, desires to grow in relationship with him. And we know that faith is not by works, but it's also by works that others know us by our faith. 
And similarly, it's God who works in us to do his will. Um, Similar to what we discussed at the beginning, time alone with God, building a relationship with God that changes us, it reflects our spiritual growth. And it's not passive, but it's very intentional, and it's very active and requires work. Paul tells us also in Ephesians, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So it's when we begin to grasp the fullness of God that we want more of of Him, and as we want more of Him, then we'll continue to grow in our spiritual lives. But there's two side notes, um, again, side notes. Um, The first one um, is that becoming more like Christ does not mean that we're not afraid. I've said this a couple times already. This psalm did not start with a lament or um, a request by God, a cry from David to like be released from his circumstances, but we know and we have great examples of that in Scripture. And so even just a couple of chapters before, David writes, When I am afraid, I trust in you, and God, I boast in his promise, and God, I trust, I am not afraid. But another note, and this is um, something that's important to me, um, I am um, on social media, and I've seen a lot of people who say that um, sanctification, spiritual growth, Um, A religion that tells us that things are wrong or that things need to change is spiritual abuse. And I want to say clearly that sanctification in the process of pursuing pursuing Christ is not spiritual abuse, but it's the drawing near to God of us and the desire to know him and to be made more like him. Um, It's just, I think our culture is in a place that we like to use labels and boxes. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't situations that we need to be aware of and, and cautious of in our churches, but sanctification does not fit that does not fit that box. Um, that holiness and the desire, the drive, the want to, to be near Christ um, is because un- in his wings, as this psalm tells us, there is rest. In Psalm 63, we see David move quickly from an acknowledgement of discomfort within his circumstances to a longing for God. In ver- verse 5, even in the middle of adversity, David's soul was at rest. As with choice meat, you satisfy my soul. My mouth joyfully praises you. And then in verse 6, it's an interesting transition because we move from this public worship time, um, kind of some verses reflecting on public worship, to really some personal meditation. It says, on my bed I remember you, I think of you through the watches of the night. This verse I first learned when I worked at Kids Across America, which is um, the urban side of Canacook. Um, and one of my coworkers, one of my co-counselors, gave me a pillowcase one night that had this verse on it. Um, on my bed, I remember you, I think of you through the watches of the night. And it was really a cute nod to the kids that we kept in our cabin and the late nights and just keeping watch over children. Um, and it was cute, but that's really not the sentiment that, that's being expressed here. It's really much more deep that we are focused not on our circumstances, but on the God of the universe. And then in verse 7, it's in the shadow of God's wings that we can shout for joy. David, if you remember that picture earlier in the wilderness, David had no protection, uh, but he recognized and remembers the kindness and the protection of God and states, nevertheless, my soul pursues you. In other translations, you might have it say cling, which is the same word of Ruth clinging to Naomi. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, we are to reflect and think on God always. Not even for a moment do we stop thinking of God and his goodness. So sanctification, becoming more holy, More like Christ, spiritual growth as we pursue God, as he draws near to us through active, intentional time alone with God. 
but before we leave Psalm 63, there are those three final verses that really don't have much to do in terms of our application today with time alone with God, but I think it's important to point out um, that God will right all wrongs, that he is the justice maker, he will expose lies, and he will protect. Um, And as we spend time alone with God, that we will be able to tend to the lies and the brokenness of our own lives. Um, And I think as beautiful as we become rooted, our topic for our study this year, um, as we become rooted... Um, as we grow in our love for the triune God, we will be able to also worship as David did in this psalm. Our time with God is not a box to check. It's not a burden to shoulder. It's a sacrifice of time, very purposeful time. Um, and as you experienced over the last week, time to come before God with prayers and petitions, our longings, our fears, um, through journaling, scripture, prayer, and meditation, and car line on the commute in your favorite chair, or even um, my husband wanted me to point out on the treadmill. Um, For him, not me. Um, But we do these things so that we will be changed. Um, And as we see God move in unexpected and hopeful ways, it is through our praise and prayers that we will be reminded of our desperate dependence. We will become steadfast and we will grow in holiness. As we spend time with God, we will want more of him. And as we want him, he will reveal to us more of himself, things that will bring us greater peace, and strength, and resolve, and commitment. And like David, we can expect that even in the midst of the wilderness, we will move from a place of, I think we can all admit, selfish introspection to an upward focus that reminds us of God's faithfulness and promise to create a new heaven and a new earth. And as we wait for his rescue or a change of circumstance, we can wait well. So what do I want you to take away from this week? And what do I hope I take away from this week still? Is that time alone with God will build a relationship that changes us. Our wilderness, our journey, is not something to escape. In fact, it's because of our alone time with God, both past and present, that we have an opportunity to face the future with confidence, to praise God and remember his goodness and his truth, to grow in our steadfastness and dependence on God, looking forward with anticipation for our destination, knowing that as we follow Christ, we are being changed. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, we come before you today knowing that we have lives that are busy, We have lives where we are walking through the wilderness even now when we walk out these doors. Lord, things that consume our our mind and our time, our emotions. Lord, we pray that even now, that as we think about going out um, into, um, out these doors to our families, to work, to children and parents and spouses, um, Lord, that you will give us the opportunity to pause daily um, in the spaces that you've given us to do that. As we said, whether it's in a favorite chair, in the car, in the shower, elsewhere, that you will bring to mind the things that you have taught us, that we will have the opportunity to know you more closely, Lord, that you will reveal to us our dependence on you, Lord, that you will build steadfastness in us, and Lord, that we will grow always in holiness, encouraging one another as well to do the same. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you have drawn near to us and that you do um, walk beside us as we journey through the wilderness. Um, And we praise you for the confidence that we can have in our hope to come. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.